0: Pale horse. The man who sat on him was death. And hell followed with him.
1: You're killing me, man.
0: Welcome to Declarations of War. I am your host, Alexei F. Carr, joined by my faithful co-host, Zero Cool. Hello, hello. And our special guest today, host of the Triglavian Times, Sabat Saint.
1: How's it going?
0: It's going well, Sabat. Pleasure to have you here. I wanted to have you as a guest for the longest time. I'm a big fan of the Triglavian Times show. It's awesome to have you on. We've got a very cool poll. The thing that I think most of Nelsek is wondering... Right now, after the TTT has fallen, which we'll get to in a second. But where will initiative strike? Initiative, of course, backed out of the Imperium. We covered that in the last show. Speculation still rife with where they will turn their attention to. So far, no major deployments observed that I've heard so far. But 36% of our audience believes going to the Northwest. 36% of our audience believes going to the Northeast. All eyes turning north for the initiative. Sabat, so, you're a journalist of sorts. Yeah, to a degree. literally a, a based journalist. But any thoughts about where initiative may turn their attention now that they're a semi-independent entity?
1: Um, for me, I feel northeast. I put myself in the northeast just to cause chaos. I know they they're out of of the Imperium, but I still feel like they have those grudges.
0: Definitely possible. The so Northeast would put them against Pandemic Horde, potentially fraternity. I'd have yeah. to say it's uh, it'd be in keeping with their with their very offensive, aggressive reputation. But I could also see them going to pick fights with similarly sized groups down the Southwest. Excuse me, Southeast. Southeast.
1: Yeah, no, I can see that too.
2: Why in no sec? You know why can't they? Uh, why can they go to Potchen? <laughs> <laughs> they they can fight Horde and, and uh,
1: Fraternity in Potshot, you know? I mean, if they, if they all came in, it'd be uh, pretty chaotic. Does Fraternity still have structures left in Potshot? I know they routinely have to defend them. I know... Do they still have one? I think they might. I can't remember if there's one in Yarja or Archie or, or not. It might be in Archie. I know there's a couple left, and there's not many left. I just don't look around for structures in Pachvin, so...
0: <laughs> I don't know how heavily Fraternity actually uses them, but that is a wound that could never heal.
1: They kill those structures. They
0: can't replace them in that region.
1: Yep. There's a lot less of what it, Pachvin was created than there are now.
0: That steady rate of attrition. I imagine the remaining ones are exceptionally valuable.
1: Yeah, and some of them are free ported, which is nice.
0: Well, Spot, let's turn the clock back. For any of our audience who are not familiar with you and your story, how did you first get into the game?
1: Oh, 2006, playing a tabletop board game at a hobby store. was talking about World of Warcraft with some friends, and the guy I was playing against told me, hey, you should try this game called EVE Online. And uh, I still have that character on my account. Uh I think it was like November seventh of two thousand six. Um I started that character. Played for I don't know, three four months or so. I had you know that was the free month, but you also had the you know month of training, skill training skills, so <laughs> it wasn't really much of a free month of Omega, but played for a couple months trying to get my friends to join me in playing. Most of them bowed out pretty quick. I kind of disappeared, came back a year later in 07 and started Sabbat Saint uh cuz your attribute points actually were different depending on what uh nation you chose. So I I liked Galente set up for attributes a little bit more and kind of played on and off. You know, I play for like a year or two and then disappear for a year, come back, play for another year or two, disappear, come back. Um and then eventually it was what 2020, you know, height of COVID, sitting bored out in the middle of a field, doing some work and looking at YouTube videos and decided, you know what? See what's going on in EVE again. It's been, it's been four years because I was traveling around a lot. Um, Literally moved coast to coast in like three months at one point. Um, Decided, yeah, you know what? I'll, I'll see what's going on in EVE. See what's new. Watching videos. Saw Triglavian ships. Saw that the invasion was, like, was just starting up and was like, all right, Need to uh, need to play you again.
0: And obviously, the invasion is something that really hooked you in.
1: Yeah, it was. It. I didn't take part as much as a lot of other folks in the invasions, but I did participate here and there. Because um, I was not a person who could work from home, so I worked from work the entire time. You know, the height of COVID, so I didn't have ample hours to play all hours of the day. So. But I did participate a little bit here and there where I could. I uh, got super excited when um, Nyarja fell and then regretted it like five minutes later when I remembered all my stuff was trapped in Amar now. Nice. <laughs> and was like, oh, shit. But uh, um, yeah, it, it hooked me. Triglavian ships hooked me back in. I know they'd been around for like two years at that point, but I wasn't paying attention to to Eve at that point in time. So I was really excited for The invasions, changing the landscape, and flying around trick ships.
0: I still think the invasion is really impressive. I know a lot's come out since about how pre-planned CCP actually was with it, but at the same time, the fact that it it was a giant server-wide event that did pull systems out and radically change the geography of the game, that was cool that the game was willing to take that kind of risk. I'm sure there are a lot of players who got stuff trapped various places and took it a little less gracefully than you did (laughs) to disrupt the status quo in a way that uh, could really reshape the game, quite literally reshape the map of the game. That was a bold choice for such an old game, and I thought it was a good indication that CCP was still willing to take some risks. Obviously, not all the risks that they take pay off.
1: Yeah, no, I I mean, I liked it just for the shakeup factor. Um, I just thought, you know, some of these routes, you know, I've been using for forever. And for me personally, it was just that nice little touch of like, hey, guess what? You got to think of a new way to move around. <laughs> oh, uh, I mean, still to this day, I still see Reddit posts or posts on forums like, hey, I'm, I just logged back in for the first time in four years. I'm stuck in this place called Pakovin. Yeah. Um you you still see it all, you still see it cropping up which is kind of entertaining to see.
2: It surprises me and then I think actually no you know I mean of course of course and uh, like how popular were some of these these systems then they must have been like or is it just
1: pure chance? Uh, some of them were very popular. Right okay. And then others not so much but it all you know it just depended on where the system was located and, and you know what was popping up in system I know some of the more popular ones were ice belt systems because uh, you know a lot of miners got stuck in Pakhvin. Gotcha. <laughs> I mean that's that's how one of uh one of the guys from Kybernauts, uh, who does a lot of propaganda stuff for pretty much all walks of, of Eve. Um he uh he actually like Rarivoss got flipped and he didn't know it and all of a sudden he was in RareVoss in, in Pakhvin. Uh no, actually it was when it became Luminal and like was about to become Luminal. And um, he just decided to join the Triglavians all of a sudden.
0: (laughs) Well, if you can't beat him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He he went out with a battle orca.
0: (laughs) So how did you go from kind of casually participating in the event to being one of the leaders of one of the larger Triglavian based alliances?
1: stamp, stumbling like, in, taking on roles. I mean, <laughs> even before that, how
0: did you even decide? You know, okay, there's this new region. It's lawless. I want to go move there full time.
1: All right. So it was maybe a month or two. I think it was about a month before Pachman came into existence. I just left a new bro, like return bro corp, because I kind of wanted. You know, I didn't know what changed. I kind of wanted to feel out the landscape of Eve. Mm-hmm. And I left that for a couple days, and I was like, you know what? I participated in this stuff. I, I shot Edencom. I want to find a uh uh Pachman group. I don't I don't like the mammoth. I'm not a big block player. I like, you know, having the same group of guys to fly with consistently and get used to each other's habits. So I ended up finding kybernauts. Um and was like, you know what, this is this is, this will be a good fleet. They're uh fit. They're you know, at that point in time they're were, they were still smaller after the, the the kind of split between kybernauts and Shribog, Um and I was like this is, this will be a good fit for me. Like they're not huge, but there is enough members that we can do some bigger fleets. And just kinda of took my shot, applied and and ended up joining. And basically have lived in Pakovin since Pockvin was great. I think day one I started moving ships in.
0: That's cool, man.
1: I love it there so much.
0: <laughs> What's, what do you like the most about it?
1: Uh, I like the weirdness that you can't find space like it. Um, because I like the blackout, like wormholes. I like the gates, kind of like Nullsec. I like that it's zero zero. You know, it's it's negative one. Um, so I don't have to worry about my security status. I can ble- be a cloaky hunter and pick people off. I can. I can mine if I want to. I mean, there's some things that need to be touched. I mean, we harp on it a lot on the Triglavian Times uh, about stuff, but um, for the most part, it's a decently well-rounded area if you like small game. And you can't be evicted, right? No, you can't be evicted. That's nice. There's no way to keep anyone out of Pachabin, and anyone who thinks Pachabin is, you know, Super secure. All it takes is someone going. Let's just yeet fifteen man fleets into pac of bombers, and they can take out capital ships if they're actually un- <laughs> undocked or taken out of deep safe.
0: That kind of brings us to the one of the more unique features of Pachen. No new capitals in it. They can't be built. They can't be jumped in. They can't be gated in in any way. And no new citadels. So it. I mean, they're pre-existing ones still in effect capital ships cannot move i believe but they can still be active in the system they currently existed in
1: that is correct so
0: that's a kind of interesting you can't really be evicted but you also can't really put down roots either
1: you the only way you put down roots really is if you get standings um but otherwise, yeah, all capitals, structures, everything's limited by what was there when the systems flipped into Pokhavan. And no more. I mean, it's slowly but surely creeping closer and closer to that subcap paradise. I mean, most of the time it is subcap paradise, but it's getting closer and closer. I can't remember if the number's like sub 15 capital ships now. I know Navula's got a few. I can't remember what other systems have some of them left in them, but it's, it's creeping down structures are disappearing still and, and capital ships are disappearing. Let's
0: talk a little bit about the politics of Pochvin. Who are the big players and who lives where?
1: All uh, right. So there's Kybernauts who live in Kino. They're one of the big players. They were part of the blue triangle situation um, there is Toast, which is kind of a shell of itself. Uh, they're kind of coming back a little bit. They were ran by Zero, uh, Zeromus Plague, who ran for CSM, what, two years ago. They are Tunadin. Uh, you've got Svarog Liberati, which is part of Purple Helmeted Warriors. They're based out of Arva, if I'm correct. Um, Strybog, which is part of Imperium, you don't see them as often in Tocfin anymore. Um, Based out of Weir Shota. Rote Capel for a long time, was based out of Nivula. Um, Then you have... Pandemic Horde has structures in Skarkon. And then the rest is kind of smaller. I mean, Frat still goes around... Uh, in it, you can see every once in a while you have the boys. And then after that, it's just onesies, twosies, people coming in to cause chaos or to hunt or to mine. Some multi Yes. Oh, yeah. Then you have Dora, uh, D- uh, Dora the Explorer, who's got Dorad, um, which is basically like a multi boxer group of chaos. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's like almost every one of those guys in there multibox at least like five to six characters. Some of them do whole fleets by themselves. That's wild to me.
0: I uh, infamously have trouble multiboxing one account.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I can multibox mining. And then once it gets to a certain threshold, it's just out. I can't PVP multibox. That's too hard.
0: Let's talk about your stream. How'd you get into Twitch?
1: Yeah, uh, okay, so back in, yeah, it was, you know, right when Pokvin was created, beginning day is Pokvin, like, the first three months. Seeing a lot of different, you know, podcasts, streams on Twitch, talking, um, talk about Pokvin, and some people were coming on who you were blatantly day-trippers, the way they were explaining things, um, about, you know, oh, Pokvin's so easy, da-da-da-da, like, And, uh, I started kind of getting annoyed a little bit with people making it this, you know, making it seem like it was this place of happy, fun times where you can make lots of money without getting pestered at all. And so I was getting a little annoyed with it and was like, you know what, screw this, like, we're going to start dropping real facts on Pachvin, um, and kind of got the ball rolling from there, um, And have have fun doing it. Uh, The stream is more... Because sometimes it's fun to to see people's reactions. And sometimes... You know, live audience brings up good comments... While we're on some of our ridiculous tangents. (laughs) I mean... We end a lot of episodes... Talking about how we wish... The the Triglavians would have transport ships... That are already in the game. (laughs) But... um, It's fun because sometimes... You know... And uh, someone that's in the audience, will notice something that we missed. Uh, Cause we all kind of keep our eyes on different aspects of the game uh, between the three of us that, that are consistently on the show. So it just became a, Hey, let's, let's inform everyone. The, the information that we know from people who live in Pachvin almost 24 seven. Yeah. We might, you know, eat to an all and ruin someone's day or go to low sec to have some fun. But for the most part, we, you know, live in Pachvin. So, Let's actually get some of the facts straight for people who are interested in pac and what they want to do in pac I
0: believe you have the distinction of being the only successful, as in ran more than a couple episodes or issues, regional news service of any
1: kind. I oh, didn't know that.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm, there have been a couple of people who have been like post newsletters of what goes on in a given system or region one of them actually might still be going, not 100% on that. But in terms of widely consumed EVE media, yeah, I think that the closest thing would be maybe a Federation front line, which looks at the entire war zone. But even that is multi-regional. Ben, maybe just because it is what it is, or maybe it's because of the time that you've put into getting the community around it. But yeah, like of things that go on in a particular region, it's the one that has the news.
1: Yeah, I mean we when we have slow times like, you know, with recently with the, the Viridian expansion, like yeah, we kind of focused on that. so you know, Pockvin was kinda of back to status quo of, of of certain things going on with us repeating the same thing. So sometimes we drift off topic, but yeah, we try to try to stay focused on Paqvin and what changes might influence Paqvin. Um especially with ship changes and stuff like that, because that dictates a lot of the, the meta in Pockvin. So it's nice to know. Thanks for letting me know that, Alec. I didn't know.
0: <laughs> I mean, maybe the audience can can turn me on to a new one that I've overlooked, but yeah, as far as I know.
1: I mean, I just really listened to declarations of war less than 10, and it's really it, so. Oh, <laughs> well, what more do you need? I'm yeah, I mean, really.
0: <laughs> well, cool, man. Congratulations on all your success with the stream. I've, I've seen you grow that community. For a while now, and just have a
1: yeah, an engaging show. Yeah, you join every once in a while, and it's always kind of entertaining when you're on because you you get the silliness of the show. So absolutely.
0: But we need to turn our attention to K Space, the non pochvin side of the world. Major events unforeseen except uh, allegedly to certain csm me- csm members uh, part of the viridian patch included a prohibition on anchoring xl structures in HiSEC. this would be uh is it just keepstars or satoyas Satoyos, yeah so no more keepstars no more satoyas in HiSEC. now of course there is a very famous HiSec citadel that people often look to and they're like, oh, these things in high sec, that can't be killed. Look at how they're being ran over here. The TTT. I'm struggling to remember what the acronym <laughs> actually stands for with the Tran- Tranquility, Tranquility Trading, trading how... Treaty.
1: Uh, I think it's Trade. yep, Tower.
0: Tower or Treaty, one of the two. But uh, the agreement behind the tower, which is made by all the major NELSEC blocks to essentially collude on a market adjacent to JITA, ran by players. They would take the tax money and then split it according to their agreement. And this was put into place so that the major coalitions would not compete with each other over over the massive amount of revenue to be made from having high SEC trading structures.
2: I think one of the things that I, I... Sort of uh, thought when I first uh, found out about the TTT in perimeter was I, I was a bit frustrated as a new player that to interact with that market, um, it wasn't that you docked up in that, in that keep star and, and you shopped there and you saved money or, you know, an isk, uh, on tax because you, um, did your trading and, and stuff in a player owned structure. No, 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 that's not how this works. Um, the benefit was derived from people placing um, buy orders in Perimeter in the Keepstar, um, but making them so that uh, they would catch sales happening next door in Jita. So if you sold items in the four 4.4 NPC station, uh, they, they you could be fulfilling someone's buy order that was placed in the Perimeter uh, Keepstar. Um, and by doing that, they, they saved a bit on... On the tax sales, the the sales tax involved in placing buy orders. And, you know, 99% of the, of the items that were sold to those orders ended up in the NPC station in Jita. Um, and I think, oh, well, that, that, that kind of, um, made me think, oh, well, that's a bit silly. Um, because, you know, as a new player, you know, you don't see keep stars unless, well, unless you look at that one, uh, unless you venture out into, um, other parts of space. So. Uh, the fact that this keeps down was such an important thing, but nobody ever really, unless you were placing Biotis, really bothered with it or, or swapping clones or whatever, was a bit of a, a shame for me.
0: It was a bit of a weird interaction as far as how that feature works. I get why it works the way that it does, but it, it didn't make the arrangement seem kind of weird. One of the biggest values people could get was actually buying and selling Plex there because you could do it remotely. It seemed like largely the idea was not to actually dock and list items at the trading post. It was just to put remote buy orders in.
2: Yeah.
0: And the amount of money that you could make, when you said like save a little bit on the tax, they were actually saving substantially on the tax. So at the individual level, you had every incentive to try to do that if you knew how to do it because you save several percents off of what are, especially in the case of the Plex, rather large orders. So you're saving yourself a ton of money, but you're likewise making a ton of money for the alliances that had stake in the TTT.
2: Yeah, and I think the other thing that uh, I didn't appreciate until recent weeks was how this consortium, this um, sort of cartel, was uh, actually dominating all of the major um high sec marketplaces like this. It wasn't just that one keep star. You know, they had Satoyos all over the place doing the same thing. Um and yeah, I didn't realise just how kind of they dominated pretty much dominated high sec um
0: by orders.
1: Yeah, they yeah they did.
0: That's the kind of thing you would normally think about, but it always I... The scope of it, in, in some ways, didn't surprise me. Like, if you're going to do it to one hub, of course you would do it to the other hubs as well. But the what's caught me off guard several times is the lengths at which these various alliances would go to to maintain that cartel, even if they hated each other elsewhere. Yeah.
1: They wanted that S-faucet.
0: On. Yeah, they want the is faucet for sure. It's a lot of money. But like that money is also going to this alliance that you're currently at war with and theoretically (laughs) can't destroy (laughs) off the game.
1: Yeah, it's (laughs) a little silly.
0: (laughs) Sometimes they literally had wars of extermination going on with each other and they were still keeping that thing alive. And when it came under attack, they would even work together to try to save it. That is how on the dole these alliances
2: were. It is crazy to think how much they, they must have been bringing in, um, some, sometimes, you know, I just, I can't imagine it really. I, I'm sure the figures will come out eventually. Um, there might even be receipts to prove it. Uh, but, you know, and, and, and what, what people say now is, okay, well, others will pop up or whatever. Um, at least they won't be extra large structures. And that's the whole point of this, isn't it? Apparently, um, that, that, you know, that keep starting perimeter was, was unkillable. Obviously that wasn't the issue. Um, no. The issue was that it could be easily replaced.
0: Yeah. I mean anything's theoretically killable, but it was it's quite costly to do, right? Especially if it was gonna be defended.
2: And then just replaced if if need be yeah. literally the next day.
0: That's how much money they were making, of course.
1: Of course.
2: And they could have just carried on doing that. They could have lost a Keepstar a week and just kept
0: replacing them.
1: Close to that,
0: yeah. With no dreadnoughts, no super capitals, I don't think anybody would be able to kill one a week at any sustainable pace. So kind of a... I mean, if you're game-theorying it out, taking everything to its logical conclusion, you can see why they agreed to just not fight over it in the
2: first place. Yeah, the cartel itself made perfect sense. Um, the mechanics that enabled it, well, I think, it yeah... the. And I'm not sure how much influence the um, CSM members had in, in how to address this issue could, because, you know, the solution was pretty neat in the end. Just, and it was, I remember it being suggested, you know, kind of in the weeks or months leading up to the Viridian patch anyway on different platforms, that if you just stopped people putting extra large structures up and grandfathered in the other ones, then you're kind of problem solved without, without having to like delete <laughs> things from space or whatever. So, um, yeah, I, I felt the solution was pretty neat and tidy. Um, people speculate that the initiative must have known or whatever because they, they, of their actions. I, I would argue that actually, you know, why why would they have bothered um, fussing over all of this stuff for the last few months if they knew this was going to happen? Because if this, if they knew this was going to happen, they could have just done nothing and waited. Um, so I, I suspect that, uh, that, you know, that the... Confidentiality was maintained, and everything. There was nothing to suggest it wasn't. It was pretty. Ob- We've been talking about this Keepstar thing all year, Alec, haven't we? On the podcast, you know, speculating about whether it would, it would, something would eventually happen.
0: Yeah, and I mean, Initiative was the first domino to fall. In hindsight, I can see why people are are suggesting it, but at the time, they, they were also pulling out of the Imperium. At the time, test was a shadow of its former self but was still pulling in TTT money and there was some renegotiation going on in the background. There were a lot of moving parts to this agreement and the reasons that Initiative might potentially have pulled out of it rather than anything to do with the patch notes. The timing is obviously quite suspect and you could still, without giving away anything about why you might want to do something, still do a thing. Uh, It's not like he was um, fire sailing every keep star that he had because he needed (laughs) to be anchorable anymore. (laughs) It's like, oh, I, we might need to leave this agreement soon. And I know in the back of my head that it might be fine for us to do it now. So I'm going to do it. That's also a very plausible and not NDA breaking or abusive CSM power way to deal with that issue.
2: Yeah. I mean, this, this has been on the cards since 2021 when, and probably before that, you know, when the end of the last great war and, um, CCP announced that, that tax break in the August, uh, which effectively turned off the ISK faucet for the war for a few weeks while, while people were actually, it was cheaper for them to put these buy orders in the NPC station for a change. Um, you know, that sparked a lot of conversation for months and well, right up until now. So from like almost two years of just constant people criticizing the TTT, people criticizing the arrangement, people saying this isn't right. And, you know, the the community has been sort of pointing out that this has been something to, to address for years. So for it to suddenly be addressed is no surprise really, is it?
0: No, and it's hard to say that this won't wind up being a good development for everyone involved. It takes some reasons for collusion to be happening off the table, which kind of puts a weird incentive in front of alliances that would normally be enemies. It allows the game to shake up a little bit because you've got these really entrenched entities that were in TTT that were getting a lot of money but no longer had a lot of you know, presence or wider political influence. Suddenly they're going to be cut off. And newer groups like Brave, for instance, who I don't believe were cut into that deal, they're now, it's not like they're cut into an equivalent, but they're no longer that far behind people that are attacking them or that they're competing with for members, space, influence, etc. It will suck in that people are going to be paying more for certain things in Gita.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's fine, though.
0: It, yeah. It's not taking away the, the concept of having player-run trade hubs that compete with NPC-run trade hubs for for money and traffic and all that stuff. It just makes it a little more competitive because now you have to put it at a fortazar, which is much more easily killed. Much, much more easily killed. Much more easily replaced as well, but if you want to have one of these trade hubs, the stability cannot be underestimated. You need to make sure that you're giving traders the confidence to put their orders and goods there so you really need to be willing to put the work in to keep it up
2: yeah like some of these orders the you know the isk being uh saved is probably like adding up to the cost of these um these uh and things so at the end of the day if they have no faith in that in that structure being there in in two months time or one month's time then they're not going to put their orders in there and of course what was you know the bashing of of a structure between Panfam and Co and um, Imperium and Co well former Imperium and Co um then um some drama or <laughs> over war declaration mechanics in HiSEC. and you know all of this like suggestion that um this thing was easily defendable in high sec and to to knock it over was going to be such a difficult task <laughs> and uh and uh, Pan Pan Fam kind of decided not to award uh, Goons at the <laughs> most important time.
0: Well, they they intended to. They they didn't time it right. But I heard. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's big whoopsie.
0: <laughs> so, uh, is it officially dead yet? Oh, yeah, no. it's dead. All right.
1: Yeah, it's... it was
2: uncontested, Alec. Pretty much in the end. All yeah, I,
0: I was waiting for it to. To go down I was staying up for it, but it took too frickin' long.
1: <laughs> yeah, the down was intense. Yeah, I bet.
0: Let's down, one of the probably one of the more famous kill males that we'll ever get in the game. If you got on it, congratulations. Yeah, I think it was a big enough deal. We'll see in the in the historical context of Eve how influential it was, but you know, if there was gonna be a monument to something, it might not be a bad thing. A we'll, little uh Wreck Monument there. Yeah. Let's move on. There's another competition going on. We have Alliance Tournament Feeders.
2: Yes, so this is... uh, I'm not sure if um, where the precedent was set. Uh, It must have been many years ago that um, teams could buy their way into the Alliance Tournament, right? I mean, Alec, maybe you can tell me, like, Has this kind of always been the norm that you bid? You were a silent bid? Yeah. yeah?
0: It wasn't always a silent auction, but yes. The core idea was that if you wanted to compete in the tournament you had to put some skin in the game. You had to put a pretty large sum of money in. Uh, I think initially it was a sign-up fee, then when they realized that they had more interest than slots, it became a... I think they went random selection maybe one year, and then it was bids after that. And then if pretty quickly it became kind of a mix of teams that did really well would get guaranteed entry. Or there, yeah. there was some sort of criteria for a guaranteed entry slot, and then it became a bid slot or a, a purchase slot, and then some that were available for competition, a feeder round, essentially. We
2: call okay. Credit. So I don't know if this, this change this time is, is because of the 20th anniversary or... Or, you know, but it's not the 20th anniversary of the AT, of course. It's not AT20, but, um, yeah, basically four teams get seeded in. So you've got the top four from last year, uh, are automatically in, and everybody else has to fight for a place and win a match or more to, um, go into the tournament. And that tournament, that feeder tournament happens this weekend. We've had two days of it. Alec has been commentating. It's been bloody and it's sponsored by Galente, so it's been very blastery as well and a little bit droney sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I've been seeing Le Shack double vision. Um <laughs> <laughs> I've seen lots of tracking disruptors, lots of nighthawk bands that people can't seem to explain. But uh, yeah, it's been an interesting two days and I'm looking forward to the next weekend as well.
0: I like the format. It's been shorter days of feed arounds than previous. I think it's great. It keeps the matches feeling fresh. The commentators get to be higher energy. I think the audience gets to be a little higher energy. It is spread out over more time, but I think in hindsight, it's working well. I think. not know. Go ahead.
2: I just think the quality of the um, camera work and the commentating is, is, is definitely going up every year, I
0: think. Oh, the three-dimensional mouse that I've been using. That's the new hotness. They have a special mouse that lets you move in three-dimensional space.
2: Yeah, I've heard that about this. Apparent.
0: It's incredible. <laughs> Very jelly. Looking at my little uh, Razer mouse, not quite the same. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I am agree. I'm in agreement with you. I'm like, I don't know, I like that, like, you know, maybe three and a half hours of like, oh, cool, I can watch like the AT for like three and a half hours and I can get on with my day not some of the the long days that, like, you know, previous years watching the AT.
0: I like if there's always going to be an audience that goes more is better, but realistically, when you're in hour eight, it does feel like it's dragging. You see the same comps over and over again. It's hard to keep that same level of excitement.
2: I mean, I found that um, this format of, like, bring not maybe not your best, but bring one of your best comps. Um, to the first match, because if you go through, if you win that match, you go through. So that has really been interesting because you've had teams that have a lot of experience, bring in stuff that nobody else really has brought. Um, and that's not something you'd normally see this early on, isn't it? Um, there's been some similarities in the meta. There's been some, but the other thing I find fascinating is how it, at least it looks this way. So for some of those teams that are more experienced, that have um, a deeper well of theory crafters, um, it seems like that as the tournament goes on, they are bringing stuff that's very, um, like they must have tweaked their comps to adjust to the the emerging meta and the bans meta as well. I think, you know, we've seen a lot of similar bans and, you know, you're starting to be able to work out kind of what the other team are bringing based on what they're banning because... The comps aren't quite similar. Um, we've seen some things that just haven't worked at all, which is kind of usual. But yeah, those teams that are more able to be fluid and kind of go like, okay, we're ten matches in. Um, people seem to be bringing double the shack. Can we? Can we just simply um, expect double the shack and just come to it? And the answer to that is well, yes. You know, the three battleship thing. There's been lots of times people have brought three battleships. One team, very experienced team, brings three battleships and wins because you know, because they can um so yeah more of this to come i think because you look at the second half of the match list and you, you see some very experienced teams now those teams are going to have um, a full week to prepare watching the other games that have been happening and uh we're going to see you know counters to so the emerging meta next weekend already um those four teams of course that uh, are already through watching all of this with uh keen interest I've seen quite a few of their names up in in the chat on the, on the twitch stream, and um, yeah, I've seen them betting as well on usually on the winner so yeah it's it's very um, interesting format, I think, and um, you know much better than the feeder tournament last year i think
0: I'm struggling to recall who mentioned this on day one. someone in the analyst desk I want to say it was fear or mystical Knight, brought up the point that a lot of these teams when you when you're going into first round, especially in the first day, you haven't seen any other comps. You haven't seen the meta. Might as well well not exist yet. You're all figuring it out. But what will happen is a lot of the teams are scrimming against a certain number of partners. They're not necessarily scrimming against every other team. probably have the same small number of partners they're going through. So you kind of get into a, a scrim bubble, a meta bubble. You'll have a match or a series of matches against your opponents, and you'll get an impression of a ship that's going to do really well, or maybe it's burned you a couple times, and that is the ship that you ban. You, you'll try a comp that's done really well against your scrim opponents, so that's what you'll go with. What a lot of these teams find is the the prep work that they've done is very different than the prep work the other teams have done, and one of them is right. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and that's I mean, how the
0: metas kind of get kind of shaping up. I think what we'll see on day three is the result of that week. Everyone that still has matches is going to be pouring over what happened on the first two days, trying to figure out what the hot comps are, what the bans are, which comps they have that aren't actually going to work as well as they thought because of what's been successful and not successful in the previous two days. And those theory crafters are going to be furiously making adjustments.
2: It's going to be chaos for them. And, uh, you know, oh, it's just so exciting to see and try and predict what's going to come next week. I mean, like my little prediction here, um, you know, I've found, and I, I'm not going to say too much because I'm, you know, trying to compete,
0: but, uh, I predict know. the ancients will do very well.
2: <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> um, yeah, I think like heavy missiles, heavy assault missiles, I think they are weak in this format. And I think what you were talking about there with the, the scrim bubble. I think a lot of teams have fallen into the trap of thinking they're strong. Um, and um, they keep banning the nighthawk, for example, and stuff like that. I'm not an expert at this stuff, but this is just my kind of impression. And uh, yeah, I think we're going to see less and less heavy missiles and heavy assault missiles brought. But that being said, you know, of course, somebody's going to make it work and uh, do it in a very skillful way. You can, you, you can be sure of that.
0: We're starting to get into the point where we're starting to see teams get eliminated out. For those of you who missed out, Sarah <laughs> and I are kind of joking about it, but the Ancients, a team of NPSI and at least half Noir, <laughs> Noir veterans, yeah. uh, they actually won their initial match. You guys don't have a match this coming weekend, do you? You're straight through.
2: We're straight through. We we won match one. Uh, we, you know, just went for it. Um, it. It's a roll of the dice, isn't it? You know, do you, what do you do? Do you go for something that's you know, kind of cautious, or do you just go all in? And, and um, you know, we went... We went in, and we just went for it, and we went through. Um, So that paid off, and we can now just practice now until August.
0: It was a very exciting match as well. And also of of note to the podcast audience, Templus Kalsif, our former Alliance mates, and the team that Akbot is actually flying on this year, the NAR director you've heard on the show before, they've won their match in one of the most dominant performances of the entire weekend. And they are now going through. So we've got some teams in the hunt. I also know for anyone that watched the Pick'em's pregame show, that we did last weekend, it was a Friday. Our time has lost all meaning. I think it was last weekend. <laughs> uh, but the teams that I've picked so far, I'm 100%. Excellent. I'm the Pick'ems. I mean, again, I... Unfortunately, I did not get to pick Ancients, <laughs> but I did get to pick Templis Gasset. They were my number one seed. They're doing pretty well. Arrival was my number two. I haven't seen them fight yet. Uh, followed up by Pandemic Legion, Pandemic Horde, Dracaris. At that point, we were running out of teams to pick, and I thought they fought us pretty well down south. And a team called White Squall, who I had never heard of before, but they have a very cute Alliance logo and a cool name. And they dominated in a very unusual match, one of the most unusual of the weekend. Is the team that only fielded six people, including a macarriel?
2: We see, I, I, I noted that they only have two thousand two hundred um, members in their alliance, so they were probably struggling. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas White Squall, I think, have forty-one and brought ten people. So, um, yeah, interesting. I'm one, of course.
0: Well, you saw Tess struggle to field a ten-man team. So, you know, the teams out there—they're the struggle bus
2: season. It's hard. Well, I think they. They must have um, recruited a Merc, uh in, in the break, because uh, they did field 10 uh, in the next match.
0: They did, and they, they claimed all of my channel points as well. <laughs> 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 so I thought for sure they would only be able to field 8 this time around.
1: <laughs> I mean, it, is, I mean it, it does happen to fall and go outside and touch grass season for the northern hemisphere, so... You can see some alliances and some teams struggling a little bit if family stuff's going on, or... Vacations I mean, it, were already planned.
0: It is test, you know. There, it's an unfamiliar environment. They could have gone outside to touch grass and gotten lost. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that is very true.
0: Sabat, so, you've got to make a comment on this. We can't can't fully move on until we talk about the Lashak meta specifically. Every team that's brought to the is absolutely face planted. Uh, I mean, done absolutely terribly. What's going on?
1: I actually agree with some of the commentators. Like one Lashak, okay, two. That's pushing it too much. I mean, I love the ship, the shack. It's a beast. I just feel like they're putting too much hope on the shack. And then when I was, cause I didn't watch today's games, but the yesterday's games, the double of shacks, I was like, they're either getting scrammed or they're getting damped and they're losing their spool. Like this is, that's, that's the easy counter for trig ships. You just get them out of range or you scram them and they lose their damage. And they're not fast battleships. <laughs> They are slower than molasses, so I just think with the the way the meta is, and with a lot of the the e war going on, there's just double shack just will not work. I could see single shack and some other you know some other stuff mixed out around it to keep it alive, but double is just ugh, it's just rough.
0: With the way the tournament rules are, they're actually paying extra points to bring doubles to the same ship the shack is already quite expensive so
1: yeah
0: an extra what about two points for that second one
1: yeah yeah I, I i don't get what people are going for i mean i know it's done well in other tournaments but it's just it doesn't fit the meta this time around and it's getting broken too easy
2: i think in the main tournament um you know you have four bands so you could try and ban out you know, tracking disruptors and that and stuff, and uh, and try and go for it. But I think, I to be honest, I've not seen a Lashak comp yet that I've been one hundred percent happy with. I think each one, if you look at them, they're very different on the, on you know what comes along with the Lashaks. And um, I personally think that um, we haven't seen the best of the Lashak meta yet. And uh, you know, I think just some of these teams that have brought double Lashak, they just haven't prepared for uh, the Ebor you know the other team to bring track interceptors so you know we'll see uh i think there's more to the double shack but um not if everybody knows you're going to bring it
0: from my my view as a lechack aficionado on tranquility i see a lack of imagination with the utility highs they could be bringing smart bombs to clear drones off they're not they're just going for more nudes which are good they're always good in a battleship but when you have three utility highs, I think you could be spicing it up there. And I kind of agree with Sabat's take. They're not doing sufficient prep work for the counters. You have a lot of mids to play with. There's also a lot of mids in the rest of your fleet that you could be remote sensor boosting, remote tracking enhancing, or have specific ships to go out there and destroy enemy E-War ships, kind of like an anti-frigate support wing. And we're just not seeing enough of that. It's very much single-minded hey Lashaks, Shaks do a lot of damage we want to go out and we want to tackle we're going to have tackle ships and we're going to put tackle on the Lashaks and we're going to put newts on to help us tackle things and we're going to get on top of it and just wear it down which theoretically it does better than any battleship but <laughs> it's very theoretical because it's easily stopped um wow.
1: Yeah, they, yeah. There's a lot of openings, and I agree with you—the lack of imagination. I mean, Shack, Newts, yeah, everyone gets it. But like, there's other options for those utility highs that you could throw some sneaky stuff in there and confuse some people. I mean, you could go, you know, cap, uh, cap transfer back and forth between the two shacks and remote reps, and they could literally become little tanks together that can, you know, at least stave off and survive. But it all—I don't know, I just think there's a little bit of a lack of imagination of what you could do with that check. I agree with you on that one.
0: We'll, we'll see how the meta evolves. It'd be interesting if one team kind of cracks the code on that, because again, theoretically, a very strong battleship. Arguably, you know, is it worth the points versus other things, especially with the Galenti battleship point reduction? You know, you could definitely make that. You definitely have that debate. I think it is a huge point investment, but if you're going to do it. You need to really prepare around it and make sure that Lashak is doing very well and not have it just be a gigantic black hole of points because it's been scrammed by an assault frigate and tracking disrupted by a crucifier together worth less than half. Yeah. All right. Well, um, very interesting. I'm going to be commentating again on day three. Shout out to Fear, who's going to be my commentary partner for the entire day. Nice. Great series of matches. Uh, quick highlights, we're going to have Castabouts fighting, Test playing, Bright Side of Death, Sons of Bane, uh, HighSec Miners is going to be fighting for their lives, I believe. Yeah. Hold Control, Yeet, Pray, Love, which uh, I would say lost in a bit of an upset, although both teams are fairly well matched. The fact that they're here down on the losers is pretty surprising, so... Uh, a lot of people are going to be looking at Eat, Pray, Love to maybe overcome cast abouts who are traditionally a very strong tournament team, very reliable tournament team, not necessarily going into the finals, but they have a pretty good record. And Eat, Pray, Love, uh, if you're not familiar with them on Tranquility, you probably haven't been in space often enough. They're a very active small gang alliance. Not a huge tournament pedigree, but some really skilled tournament players on there see how it works out it's the first match of day three i'm commentating it super excited uh, we're gonna have some really great matches later is gonna be playing hordes playing rocapel's playing Uh, shout out to the of essence guys yeah it's gonna be good
2: yeah the yeet Prelove love match was interesting it could have gone either way several times and um i felt that uh there was one point where i thought they were going to bring it back uh i think especially when uh Ten had got, I think it was the Logi tackled and Newton, vector, and just sort of, I thought, you know, probably done enough to take the, I think it was an Osprey out of the fight. And then but some, somewhere Cap appears and reps <laughs> land and, and it didn't quite work out. And I think that was a, a turning point for me there where, you know, the right, maybe some of the right things were done because I, I was looking at that moment thinking, do you go for Logi now? Do you kill Logie off? It's only an Osprey. Uh, it's tackled. But they probably thought that they had it neutered down. Um, I, I, mm-hmm. I. Mean, it's a fair assumption, right? Even with a cat booster, it's rough to keep uh, reps going. They had plenty shooting. of newts to spare on it
0: as well. At least at that early on, they did.
2: Yeah. So it shook um,
0: loose. Uh, so yeah, I guess uh, upset isn't right. Heartbreaking, I think, is is more right because it, it, like you said, it did go back and forth. It looked like they had it at one point.
2: Yeah, because both teams, you know, have got a pedigree there, isn't it? You know, they've both, um, experienced players on their sides, uh, not necessarily uh, the names known to people, but individual pilots, certainly. Uh-huh. But yeah. You're uh- right. I mean, Castabouts, they, they're also very good. And I, uh, those two play next week, then cast and you play. Yeah.
0: That's the opening yeah. match. I'm very excited oh, for
2: it. Oh, wow. That's going um, to be interesting. I think both teams there have the capability of reading what's happened this weekend and come in with something very interesting um, to try and read the meta and counter each other. You know, they've both got a pair of degrees, so they can both go back and look at their previous... Wow, it's going to be great. i will have a look myself.
0: I think that's actually the match I'm most excited for, with a close second being Bright Side of Death versus Sons of Bane. Nice. Both seriously good, small to medium-sized NELSEC alliances, but they're on the opposite sides of the map, so you would rarely see them interact. I think it's going to be one of the more unique tournament opportunities.
1: All I'm hearing is next weekend's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah.
0: (laughs) And then we don't really know what's going to happen with Day 4. It'll depend on how these matches go on Day 3, but everybody's going to be fighting for their life on Day 4, so you're going to see the best comps those alliances have to offer. Now that we're done doing commercials for EVNT, let's give a quick commercial for Noir. Not our best one, unfortunately. We had a contract in Endon. It is a low-security system in Metropolis? region. It did not go the way that we would have wanted it to. Um, we got hired by Pandemic Horror to protect some of their industrial structures, and it was a joint fleet between us and them. Things initially went well, we were doing pretty well against Opposing Forest, which was a mix of Sanctuary of Shadows and Brotherhood of Spacers. And then a Sigma grind set, Kiki and Kirin Fleet turned up, and it was just too much for our Lodgy to bear. We took quite a few losses there. And at some point, I guess the sunk cost fallacy came in because things just kept escalating and escalating actually four different timers. We saved at least two of them, which was our contract objective, save these structures. Two we could not save. Um but it wasn't for lack of trying. We initially did some micro jump drive destroyers. We got one really great pull on hostile logic, which helped won that fight, and then unfortunately we had a really bad pull which got some of the enemy fleet, but also big chunks of our own fleet and split our logistics wing a little too much. End up being quite costly. Then there was a reship for a round two, and a reship for a round three. And in round three, my host highlight, I got to drop a fax. Wow! Oh, it was so much fun. It died horribly, (laughs) but I had a good time with it. It It's been a long time since I've been able to use an apostle, but I had one in range. Uh, I talked to the client, was like, "Hey, if you guys are going to use this same fleet that we've been doing, which is um, Beam Legions." I'll put it on the field. Let's get some of our Guardians to swap in a DPS and let's try to break that logic. I'm like, okay, okay. Jumped it in, sieged up. Aside from one Guardian, everything I put reps on survived. Fortunately, there were some ships that just could not catch. There was also another fleet that came in that was not armor-based. and They also died. I tried to rep them, but just wasn't working very well. Uh, and the real issue was we just could not break enemy logic. We were killing quite a few of the Kikis, but not really fast enough. And the opposing fleet's fleet core was Cyclone fleet issues and just could not do it. Uh, they were, I'm not exactly sure what was going on because I was on the logistics side of things and wasn't really keeping track of, of primaries. But it didn't seem like we were applying damage very well the damage that we were applying was getting repped or the targets were burning out of range before we could close the deal on them. We had a really hard time actually killing enemy ships. It was, killed a handful of them, uh, mostly by warping on top of them while they warped away and we managed to snag somebody. But it was a multi-hour fight and the overall butcher's bill was around 20, 20 and a half billion. uh, About two to one odds. We definitely lost. <laughs> yeah, overall efficiency was somewhere in like ten, eleven percent, somewhere in there. I'd say probably closer to ten. It's a little hard to say because there were multiple groups in local, and uh, not all of them were hostile, but most of them were. And yeah, it was just, just brutal, and it's fairly spread out as well. We lost three point eight bill of recons according to Z kill. 2.6 bill in Logi, 2.1 bill in Command Ships, 3.3 bill in Strategic Cruisers, 2.3 bill Battleships. And, of course, my fax died. Oh, um, it really adds up.
2: <laughs> how long had you had that fax, Sonic?
0: I believe I had it two for at least two years. Wow. <laughs> But I can't recall if I even put it on field once before. I I bought it specifically to use up in Geminet for our contract during the Alliance tournament two years ago. Right. I never actually wound up putting it on field at any time during that contract, and I haven't had a chance, had a reason to move it since, or reason to take it out during the contract that we just had up there. So I was like, "Oh shit! If I finally have this thing in range. This is the perfect fight for it. You know, I don't. We don't expect to get super dropped. We need more logi. It's a static fight around a structure, friendly structure. some of the best possible conditions to take it out. I'm gonna do it. I don't regret it. It was a lot of fun. It was good practice. It definitely made that fight a lot more takeable than it would have otherwise been. But the odds were just too great. Two to one odds. Just too much. They." The board guys fought really well, but at the end of the day, it was too much to overcome.
2: Was well, nothing quite like the uh, the old live fire exercise, right?
0: Absolutely. I'd, I'd love for Noir to be using faxes more. Faction Warfare do not really have a ton of opportunity to do that. They're fun, and they're very efficient. For the amount of money that you would have to put into getting the same amount of rep power out of logistics ships, it's worth it. But you're only using one pilot for it instead of... Five, six, seven plus pilots for guardians. You can then yeah. take those pilots and put them in other things, other fleet roles.
2: Well, generally, those people who can fly a guardian with with Logi Five, uh, Logi Cruiser Five, can also do a lot of other things, right? Yeah. So you know, if you, it's great when people say, "Yeah, I can do Logi," but uh, you've just lost somebody with perfect link skills as well, or, or whatever it is. So um, yeah, the ability to put one person in Logi like that in in such a way. Great.
0: I think the best way to run it is to have three Logi plus that guy. Yeah. So that way you have a little bit of flexibility. You can keep people up in a more of a mobile capacity. And you also don't have to drop your facts to take literally any fight. If it's a smaller fight, you can just do it and have your logistics ships keep you up. But then when the actual fleet drops, or excuse me, the actual fight drops, put the facts on the field. And that's still, like, that gives you the effective repping power of nearly 15 Guardians. It's crazy. Crazy. for like I said, a, a pretty equivalent amount of money. Now, the Guardians are not going to be vulnerable to an anti-cap dread like the, like the facts will be. But the facts won't be vulnerable to a large swarm of subcaps. So it's a bit of a trade-off. And unless you know for a fact that you're going to get counter-dropped, I think most of the time it's, it's probably more worth it than people think.
2: especially if they got a little bit cheaper.
1: Just a little bit. No.
0: In faction warfare news, we'll just do a little bit of a quick one. Normally leaving faction warfare updates to our new sister show, Federation Frontline, the main corp that runs Federation Frontline podcast is now in the network. They do a much better job covering the war zone than I could ever hope to do. But Two notable developments. One is the Athunan gate has turned off. This is a storyline gate from an event that happened last year. The Athunan system has a Kaldari-Hisek connection through a Stargate. That gate no longer works because the Galenti have taken over the system, which is a pretty amazing development. I personally did not realize that was turn off a bull. I just assume it would be always on, like, a normal NPC Stargate. That's fascinating. Did not know that. (laughs) Yeah, but she's she's down. There's video of it and everything. Very cool moment to have captured on film. So shout out to those guys. Uh, Just in general, the northern front for the Glinty, major, major gains. Uh, Most of the systems that have been retaken have been retaken up there. So shout out to those guys, and particularly Sedition. We also played a big role in our other update. Down south, we have been on the receiving end of another me, sorry, but a equivalent offensive from the Caldari taking a lot of systems in the south. In particular, our headquarter of Hadalees was under immense pressure. At one point, it did go to 100% contesting, and our IHUB was vulnerable. However, the Galenti held strong and did not allow the Caldari to attack the IHUB and get it down. We managed to claw it back. Sedition was a big part in making that initial goal line stand, thanks to those guys. Network was also involved in that fight, and we've also been a lot involved in a lot of the cleanup to make sure it never gets pushed to that point again. We're now down, I'm not sure what the capture percentage is at, but it's I think below 80% as I'm speaking to you. And it's been going lower and we're actually starting to recapture some of the surrounding systems to take it off the front line. So this has been our little uh, end of June project going into the 4th of July break, after which we'll go back on contract, I'm sure. But it's been an interesting one. Fierce, fierce fighting. Fairly constant as well. There have been some quiet periods, but most of the time it's been organized small gang on small gang fighting. A lot of cruiser versus cruiser fighting down in that, uh, in that section of the war zone.
1: It just makes me happy that Gal Bill is kicking Cal Bill's ass.
0: Well, we're trying. They're they're giving pretty good, I have to admit. Um, I'm not sure how thick the fighting is up in the north. I know we've been making a lot of progress and there have been a lot of fights. But a lot of the offensive pressure has definitely been felt down here. I feel like we're taking a lot of hits for the northern progress. At some point, I'm sure the battle lines will stabilize and both militias will be going head-to-head with their strongest groups. And that'll be something to see. But for right now, I do feel like we're Galenti Militia is pulling things around. and We've been on the back foot from the Caldari Militia for a while now. And I'm starting to see systems being retaken, morale seems really high, activity seems really high. We'll see where it goes. But yeah, I think an ass kicking is uh is coming around the corner. Zero, what is your highlight?
2: So um we've been getting into some PvP in Poshven, and the person I fly with at the moment, Lucas Hermanilos, loves to um blow stuff up. So um We've been, uh, casually kind of setting traps for Horde and Frat and, and multi-boxers, uh, in Potra and, and, and killing stuff. And earlier on, we managed to, uh, some, some figures, Alec, like, you'll be envious of, I think, uh, in terms of efficiency. Uh, I've dropped a little link there for you. This, this was from earlier where we killed, uh, 7.61 bill of fraternity Kronos and Varga. With an Astarte just to add in. Um, and we lost uh, 118 mil um, on our side. And I think we fielded, you know, no more than like, well, it's well under a bill on field. We fielded to kill 7.61 bill of uh, frat stuff. And um, yeah, very fun. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love kind of uh, uh, taking people by
0: surprise, right?
1: Sabana, how about yourself? My highlight, it's actually kinda of being sad that um all the shipcaster stuff's done. I had a lot of fun um blapping stuff. It was it was a good time um in Pacven. Um I think I had like a streak of like two, in two weeks murdering like forty miners and only playing a couple days a week, so it was a lot of fun. I'm just kinda of sad that the event's over. <laughs>
0: Yep, well, Galente finally got theirs.
1: Yeah, in three hours, you guys were done.
0: <laughs> I have seen one person that used it.
1: Yeah, I just I just know that everyone was letting me know on my Discord, like, yeah, Galente has just started. And then three hours later, and Galente finished the, start, uh, the ship cast. And I was like, really? Three hours?
0: <laughs> All right, some shout outs. I want to give a shout-out to our Golden Elite supporters on Patreon. Fade Trades, Kestrel Swainson, Krav, Mark Havoc, Teng Tengu, and Tweak. That's patreon.com slash D-O-W for anyone that wants to get in on that. Also give shout-outs to Mistrachi for FCing in the Syndicate contract. and Just generally being more active than Mar. Really appreciate it. He's a good dude. And, of course, shout-outs to... Everyone that is participating in the Alliance tournament from Noir in a mercenary capacity, and I'll also throw the Noir alums in there, you know, Maladon's in, uh, Zero yourself. Um, our current informers. <laughs> yeah, It's always good to see familiar names on the Alliance teams when I'm uh, when I'm tournament commentating. I saw Saladio, Ovix, I'm not Merking. Uh, they're actually with, with their groups, but it's still cool to see them.
2: Yeah, Ikeo flew with us today in the Ancients uh, comp, and um, Mastrachi was uh, in the background as well. So for me, my shout-outs would have to be, you know, the Ancients um, AT team, Kiakute's team, mostly um, kind of Fun Inc. is the main kind of core of it, and then there's two other small gang kind of groups. There's, there's the Silent Nomads contingent. Uh, Silent Nomads are kind of um, small gang specialist corp uh, that works with other alliances and stuff, does larger stuff, but, you know, generally kind of does nano on TQ. Uh, they're very good um, at what they do. Uh, everybody loves a good nano group. And um, obviously, like you said, some alums from um, Noir and other kind of small gang groups that, sort of, there's so many people that have been in Noir or flown with Noir, or in, in Noir's AT team and stuff. Um, do we, all, do we all just happen to, to end up in the same place, you know? Um, so definitely from them. And and personally then, in terms of that, uh, Scopeek and Yowin, so one from Fun Inc., one from Silent Nomads, sort of uh, making my job as Logi in the AT team, you know, much easier by always being there to protect and do their bit. For me and uh, that's just been brilliant to have yeah it's been a lot of fun
1: for myself for shout outs i'm gonna shout out alec you did a great job commentating oh <laughs> i mean come on you did a good job commentating it, it was it's always fun because i i didn't realize you were commentating and then when i heard your voice when the ancients were were you know pronouncing through i was like oh shit alec's actually announcing i did not pay attention to that
0: I managed to limit myself <laughs> to just one commercial during <laughs> that match.
1: Yeah, so and then, hard. <laughs> oh yeah, yep. And then zero cool. Uh, you guys in the ancients, um, and the whole decorations of war. You guys, you know, thanks for having me on. And you know, I like listening to you guys. You guys are always fun.
2: Thank you.
1: Same to you.
0: All right, that's it guys. Head to declarationsofwar.com to participate in our show's poll. Check out YouTube for show comments, or excuse me, show highlights, leave a comment. Our recruitment is on. We are prepping up for a very active summer in the contract space. We're also at some point hoping to relaunch our academy. Details on that hopefully quite soon. Um, but yeah, things are active in the faction warfare space. They're active in the contract space. As you can see, even though we don't have a field of the team this year, we're still quite active in the Alliance tournament scene. And we'd love to have you with us. Come hang out in Cafe Noir Dot. It's Cafe Noir with a period at the end of it. You'll find a link to our Discord, answers to all your questions. Of course, leave a comment on the show. Always happy to engage with you, answer your questions, take requests, feed us battle reports, whatever you've got going on. We want to hear about it. Whoever you're flying with and whatever team you're rooting for, good hunting listeners.